Um, turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Reminds me of when I was pastoring in Kentucky, this lady came up to me after the service. This was after I'd been there a few months, but she said, I don't know why you keep saying turn in your Bible. She said, I've been in the Baptist church since 1918, and I never heard of bringing your Bible to church. <clears throat> so, anyway, she said, besides, you're supposed to have three points and a poem. She said, I counted, you had 18 points. <laughs> well, I don't know how many points there are today. That'll be up to God and how much time is left. But let's open with prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you've given us another opportunity to go to your word to be fed spiritually. We thank you for the Sunday school lesson this morning. We thank you for the scripture reading of our pastor. And now as we again go to your word, we pray that you'd give us the spiritual nourishment that we need, maybe reminding us of something you've already taught us or perhaps showing us something we haven't seen before. But Father, we pray not only for that knowledge of your word, but for wisdom, that is to take the knowledge and apply it in our lives as your children to be pleasing to you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we continue in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning this morning in verse 10. Um, last time I had the opportunity to fill in for Brother Allen was September 3rd. It was 20 weeks ago. I had to count that. I didn't know off the top of my head. But, and uh, so it's been a while. But we'll pick up where we left off, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. This is not how most messages begin with the word finally. Um, <laughs> I think about that because that's the part of the message everybody's ears perk up when the preacher says, in conclusion. Uh, but this is the end of the book of Ephesians. And of course, as Paul is getting to this last um, thing he's going to talk about, he says, finally, my brethren, and I know you know that there are uh, churches today that say the Bible is sexist, and so uh, they've come up with translations that you can find now that take out gender out of the Bible, so that um, instead of my brethren, it might say my brothers and sisters, or they're, they're afraid that somehow this excludes the women, uh, but that's not the case. So the word brethren throughout the scripture is talking about us as believers. So this is for all of us, not just uh, to the male gender. Finally, my brethren, as Paul calls them, his brethren, be strong in the Lord. And we have to look at all the scripture and every part of it. So the phrase in the Lord is important. Notice it doesn't say be strong. A lot of people in the world today, and there are a lot of books you can read, it talks about you know, building up your strength, you got to be strong. Uh, there's a problem with that. If it's our own strength, we are going to fall. This is his strength. So it says, be strong in the Lord. And that's what we're instructed to do as Christians. And then he's going to talk about how to do that and why it's important. But he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And, you know, I'm reading from the King James, but different translations might say his mighty power. And that's what it is, but it's his. And it's his power that we should rely on, not our own strength and our own power. It's his. Verse 11, he tells us what to do. Put on. This is something he tells us we need to do as Christians. Now, I have heard lots of sermons about... Um, and I'm talking about not, not to lost people getting saved, but to Christians um, 
making some kind of one-time commitment. And yes, you have commitments, but I think this is something we have to deal with every day. Because we're human and we make mistakes, sometimes we forget to put on all the parts of the armor he's talking about here. So we need to do this and make sure we're doing it every day. This is a continuous thing for us to do as Christians. Put on. Keep, keep making sure that we have all the parts. He says, put on the whole armor of God. So this is God's armor. It's not our own protection. It's what he tells us to do, and he tells us what it means, but how to protect ourselves. And we notice, if you haven't counted them before, there are six parts here that he talks about. Five of them are defensive, and the last one is offensive. It's the only offensive part of the whole armor here. But, so the whole armor, he says, that, the reason he tells us to do it, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles is an old English word, but it's talking about tricks. Satan is deceitful. Um, he's going to try to trick us. Um, he did that with Adam and Eve in the garden. He has been continuing to do that. Um, he tries to get us where we're most vulnerable. And so if we don't have on the whole armor, we're not going to be able to remain standing against his trickery. Now the devil is a real person, and, that's, and it's a real threat, and that's why verse 12, Paul says, he's inspired to tell us, for, which means because, we, that's believers, wrestle not against flesh and blood. So first he tells us our battle, our conflict, our struggle is not just with other human beings. If that were the case, this wouldn't be a big deal. It's way bigger than that. It's a bigger warfare than that. This is what we wrestle against. He said, we wrestle, he says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, verse 12 alone we could spend an entire message on, and that I don't want to do today because we wouldn't get any further. But just suffice it to say, when it says spiritual wickedness in high places, that literally is the heavenlies or the heavenly realm. There, the Satan, it's, it's a huge kingdom, and there's a lots of powers. But in the Bible, you can read about demons. You can read about unclean spirits. Satan has a lot of workers working for him and with him, and they're all working in darkness. And it's a real threat. Um, a lot of people would want you to believe in this world that Satan is a, is a cartoon kind of character. Uh, maybe that he has a, you know, one of those beards, pointed beers, beards and um, horns and red pajamas and a long tail and a pitchfork. That's how most people picture Satan. But the scripture tells us in Ezekiel that he is the sum of all wisdom and all beauty. And by the way, Satan has not lost any of that. What he lost is he's no longer in the government of God. That he fell from when he said, I'll send above the heights of God. But he still has all of that. And that's why it's important as believers that we have on this whole armor because he can use all of that wisdom and beauty against us. Verse 13, wherefore, that's a connecting word. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Again, he repeats it that ye may be able to withstand, uh, or we could also say that word means resist, to withstand, uh, still in verse 13, in the evil day. Well, um, 
just look back, hold your place there, but look back one chapter, and I don't know if you have to turn in your Bible, but Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 16. That's where Paul said, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Um, Satan is working. We're in that time now. He's the, the, the God of this age. I know the word in the Bible in the King James is world, but it's talking about this age, this time period. He's the God spelt with a little g of this age. And, and, and that's something God is allowing now. Jesus has the authority to be king, but he won't take that office until he returns to set up the kingdom. So right now he's our high priest. That's the office he's fulfilling. He makes intercession for us as believers, but he will come again as king. Until then, Satan is still the God of this age. And so when we go back to Ephesians 6, verse 13, to withstand in the evil day. So we're living in this time period where Satan is the God of this age. But we need to take the whole armor so we can resist in this evil day. And having done all to stand. Now, this word stand keeps coming up. He says it, stand, stand, stand. You'll see it. Um, Hold your place here and look for a moment in a scripture in Revelation. Just to look at this, this one place I want to point out about the word stand. This is a different idea about it in Revelation chapter 6, but verse 17. Revelation 6 and verse 17. For the great day of his wrath, that's the wrath of God, is come. And by the way, that's, that's when God will pour out his wrath upon the earth. This begins in the middle of the tribulation period. So we won't be here. All the church will have been raptured out before the tribulation But notice it says, and who shall be able to stand? So that word is used in the sense, who physically is going to be able to remain standing by the end of the tribulation period? That's how serious that is. But when we come back to Ephesians chapter 6, this is not talking about physical standing. It's alluding to, as he talks about what the armor means and what the warfare is about, this is standing spiritually. In other words, when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, Having done all that is in our Christian life, will we be able to remain standing to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So that's what he keeps talking about, this standing. So again, I'll read verse 13. Wherefore, take to you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So in other words, to remain standing. Verse 14, stand therefore. There's a word therefore again connecting. So he tells us to stand. And then he tells us, It begins with the first part of the armor. He says, take unto you the whole, uh, sorry, in verse 14, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, from my understanding of this, the the area of the waist where the belt is, um, this has to do in the armor with the idea of readiness, being ready. And the first part is talking about truth. We have to start with truth, and we know the truth comes from the Word of God. I know the Bible says where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he is the truth. And John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. We know that he is called, referred to as the Word. And then this written Word is about the living Word. So when we want to find truth, we've got to get it here. Um, if you ever pick up an almanac and read, it has a lot of statistics. I can't even say the word today, statistical data. And it tells us things like all the different religions of the world and what they use as their basis of belief. And I think it should say, as believers, it should be the Bible. That should be the word of God should be our basis for belief. But you can read some of them. One of them says, uh, this one church I won't 
degrade the church by telling you what it is. You may already know. But one of them says, the Bible and rationalism. So what they're saying is, so they believe that you can take your own brain, your own rationalism, and rationalize that some scriptures aren't appropriate anymore, so we we'll just won't deal with those and we'll, we'll change it to fit what we want. But it's the word. That's the truth. And so we need to start with that. And that's the first part of the armor. Do you know that Satan cannot deceive us if we know the truth? Where he gets us is where we don't know. That's why it's important that we, this whole armor thing is getting in the Word and studying. Because as long as we're studying and we know the truth, he can't deceive us. He'll keep trying. But it's where we don't know, where we're vulnerable. That's where he's going to attack at our weakest point. Whatever it is in our life that we're weakest at and believe, believe, and I know you believe this, Satan knows that. He knows where we're weakest. And he has all his, that are working according to verse 12, all those working with him. All right? So that's the first part. Your loins, your loins girt about with truth. The second part, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate is thought of to be the body armor, but it's, it protects, of course, in a real life. It protects the heart and the lungs. Obviously, that's an important part to, to protect. Uh, but it says the breastplate of righteousness. So that is talking about as Christians, right living. We're living the right way, living that's being pleasing to God. But holding your place here, let's look at 1 Thessalonians for a moment. Because Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, also talks about this. And this is where we can put Scripture together with Scripture, and it gives us a little different meaning on this. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. He says, But let us, believers, who are of the day, that is as opposed to of the night, of course, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. So if you want to know what the breastplate of righteousness means, it means faith and love. So think about those things. Faith is, is the word believing or trusting, and that we need throughout our Christian lives. And then we know the word love is important. So this breastplate, that's the reference it's giving, is faith and love. That's important in our Christian lives to have this, to be able to remain standing when we get to the judgment seat of Christ. So faith and love. And by the way, keep that in mind, because you know hope is going to come up in a minute, right? Now, in First Thessalonians, he's going to go on in, in First Thessalonians. If you want to keep your place there, we'll come back to that in just a little bit because we'll get to the helmet. But let's move on. So here we see the breastplate of faith and love in Ephesians 6 and verse 14, breastplate of righteousness. Now verse 15, the third part. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So the word gospel means good news, the good news of peace. Um. There's actually two kinds of pieces in the Bible, if you will, and that might sound funny to say it that way, but P-E-A-C-E-S, the plural of the word peace, two kinds of pieces. There's the peace with God, and we attained that the moment we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We, we got peace with God because we needed to be reconciled to him, and that was by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. That caused reconciliation, that made us have peace with God. But in our Christian lives, this goes along with what Brother Alan was talking about when he's reading from Hebrews, there are the two rests. 
the same thing, there's two peace. So the, there's the one rest, and then the other rest we're looking forward to. The same thing with the peace. The peace of God is different from the peace with God. So to have peace with God, um, that's important, and both are related to the good news. So there's the good news of the gospel of grace, to get saved and believe, and then there's um, the good news about being pleasing to God and hearing at the judgment seat of Christ, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's an important part of the good news. And that is all mentioned with our feet being uh, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16. The next three pieces, notice it says above all. So, yes, all the armor is important. And so far, we've, we've got, we got something on our feet that helps protect them. You know, if you have something on your feet, it helps so you don't step on something that hurts them. Uh, we've got the, a belt around our waist. We've got the breastplate. But he says, above all, let's look at the first one, taking the shield of faith. And we already talked about the breastplate of righteousness, which is faith and love, but here it's emphasizing again. This is an extra part that we have to hold on to, and it's movable, right? You have a shield, you can move it. And it's going to talk about the fiery darts in a moment, but Satan's going to come at us from all different angles. So we need to be able to move that shield of faith. And what that is is trusting. Trusting that the shield is going to protect us from those fiery darts. It's hard to trust. That's what the word faith is. I remember I've heard preachers say, well, I don't believe in this easy believism, they call it. You know, they say, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. They, they didn't understand the difference between believing and being saved and being a, a, a Christian that's living for God so they can hear well done at the judgment seat. They didn't know the difference between being in heaven and entering the kingdom of heaven. So they just called it easy believism and they didn't like that. But this is the shield of faith. This is in our Christian life, trusting him. Staying behind that shield. The temptation is, you know, if you're behind the shield, is to pop your head out. And that's dangerous. All right, the shield of faith. What, what does it say? Wherewith ye shall be able to quench. By the word, quench relates to water. So think about that in Ephesians where we saw the washing of the water by the word. So the water here is mentioned. Quench all the fiery darts of the wicked literally the wicked one. So this is Satan and all those working with him. He's constantly throwing those fiery darts in our Christian lives. He wants us to give up. He wants us to quit. He wants us to stop trying to be pleasing to God. And so if he can get us to come out from behind that shield, he has a better chance with these fiery darts. But it's able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. So above all, this is the second part that's important. It wouldn't make much good if you had on all the armor but didn't put the helmet on. That's an important part. Uh, you would be quite vulnerable without that, but it's, it's very important. And again, if you held your place in First Thessalonians 5, in verse 8, let's read the rest of that. First Thessalonians 5, 8. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I know a lot of people, they read the word salvation in the Bible and they talk about the word saved and they're just thinking about believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved. But this is talking about not just getting saved to get to go to heaven. This is talking about salvation, that what the Bible calls salvation of the soul, not the spirit, but the soul, so that at the judgment seat, uh, if we hear him say, well done, that is what our hope is. Not that we hope to get to be in heaven, but that we hope we get to rule and reign with him. That's the hope. And it's 
It's one of those things here in above all, we need to make sure we have this hope. It's important. Um, I think there's a lot of Christians that probably have most parts of this, this armor, but if you leave any part off, it makes us vulnerable. So if, if we're a Christian and we don't know what the hope of salvation is, then we're walking around with our head exposed and vulnerable. Um, if we, uh, I think a lot of Christians may have one a sandal or some kind of something on one foot and nothing on the other because they don't know the other piece. Um, so as we think about this in relationship to our spiritual lives. All right, let's look at the next one. The, the last part of the armor is the offensive part. Back in Ephesians now, chapter 6, the end of verse 17. And the sword of the Spirit, and here he specifically tells us what the sword of the Spirit is, which is the Word of God. That's the only offensive weapon. The rest is all to protect us. The sword is what we can use offensively. And it's the Word of God. And that's why it started with truth. We've got to start with the truth, which is the Word. But we have to have this, the sword of the Spirit. It is the truth. And remember in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it tells us about that, that the word of God is quick, holding this word for alive or living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is sharper. It can make a distinction more than anything else. And specifically, as you read on in Ephesians 4, 12, between the spirit and the soul. A lot of people understand that we are a mind in our body, but what a lot of people don't understand, the mind has a spirit and the soul. The spirit is God consciousness. The soul is self-consciousness. The warfare in the Christian life is which gets control of our body in any moment. Are we yielding to God, which is the Holy Spirit in our mind? Are we yielding to self? Which do we yield to? And of course, carnal Christians are continuing to yield to self. But that's the warfare that Paul talks about in Galatians. Anyway, that's another message. So let's get back here. We still have time. Good. By the way, um, if we finish here, uh, I plan on going on to 2 Timothy. So I've got more to go. So if you're counting points, I don't know if you're doing Okay, verse 18. <laughs> praying always. Now, prayer is important, but just praying is not enough. So if you're a Christian, you don't have all the armor on, but you're going to pray. Well, praying is good. Praying is how we communicate. It's how we talk to God. But how he talks to us in this day and age is through his word. So if we're just praying and we never open the word, that's a one-way communication. Just praying to God. So we do need to pray to him. It says praying always. Um, now, of course, you don't have to close your eyes. If you're driving down the road and you want to say a prayer, not a good idea to close your eyes. Um, but the idea is, the way I think of this, is um, communication. When you talk about people, a lot of times you have family members, and the only time you ever see them is at a wedding or a funeral. And, you know, you wish somehow you could get together with them when it wasn't that time, because it seems like the only time we get to see some people. But the thing when, they, when you leave, you say, stay in touch. Nowadays, we have lots of ways we can stay in touch more than they could years ago. Um, the old way was writing a letter, and then it had to be sent, and it take, took a while. We call that snail mail now. <laughs> but you can now do emails, and they're sent to the person immediately. All the different ways we can, can communicate, but we can stay in touch better now. 
I think when God says praying, he's saying stay in touch, keep in communication. Doesn't mean we have our head bowed and our eyes closed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have to sleep, we have to drive, and we can't be distracted. But it means staying in communication with him. So praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. That's a whole other study, but that's how we pray. And watching thereunto with all perseverance. That is not giving up, not quitting. Watching means be careful. And supplication for all saints. So not our prayers should include all believers. Verse 19, and for me, Paul says, that utterance may be given to me, in other words, what to say, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in bonds, he's talking about he's in prison as he writes this, this uh, letter, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs, he says, and how I do. Uh, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things. So he says, I'm going to make sure he tells you how I'm doing and how things are going. Verse 22, whom I have sent to you for the same purpose that you might know our affairs and that he might comfort your heart. That means encourage you. Verse 23 says, peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I pointed this out before and you've heard other people preach. Um, It's important, they kept emphasizing when they write letters about saying God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, the Jews believed in the same God, but they didn't believe Jesus as the Son of God. So he was always careful to say God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24, grace be with all those, the word in the King James, them, all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And then he concludes with amen, which means so be it. Now, if you will, since we have a little time left, let's flip over to 2 Timothy. And I want to start in chapter 2. Somebody might say, well, why chapter 2 and not chapter 1? Well, we can't do everything in the Bible, so... (laughs) There's not time for that right now. Uh, When I did Ephesians, I started in chapter 4. But I want to get to chapter 2 because it starts in related to what we were in Ephesians about practical Christianity, how to live the Christian life, how to be pleasing. Now, Paul is literally writing to Timothy here, but this has application to us as well as believers because later in Timothy he says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. It's all inspired and it's all profitable for us. So Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, based on what he said in chapter 1, be strong. There it is again. And, but he says, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, he doesn't just say be strong. But be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, you know when we say Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Um, Christ is a title It comes from the Greek word Christos, which means, uh, we would understand it to mean king. So king is the title, so we'd say King Jesus. Or if we turn it around, we could say Jesus the king. So that's what we mean when we say Jesus Christ. It's Jesus the king. So he says, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit you to faithful men. So he tells Timothy, it's important, whatever, what you've heard from me, the teaching that I've taught you, commit that same thing to faithful men, that is Christians who are faithful, so they can 
keep doing, passing on as he says, who shall be able to teach others also. So he describes who these faithful ones are. They're the ones who are able to teach others also. Verse 3. Thou, therefore, endure hardness. In our Christian lives, there's lots of things that we could consider difficulties. Tough times. The fiery darts of the wicked one. But he says, endure them. He says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So he's going to give an example here. He's going to start out talking about warfare and what a good soldier would be. That'll be in verse 4. Verse 5, he's going to talk about um, somebody who enters the Olympics. He's going to compete. And verse 6, he's going to talk about agriculture. So let's look first at verse uh, 4. No man, uh, the word here in the Greek is anthropon, means person, so it's not excluding females. But no person who wars, in other words, goes to war, entangles himself with the affairs of this life. In other words, if a, if a soldier is in a battle, he can't be, have his brain thinking about things that will distract him. He can't think about his family back at home. That, just that little distraction might mean something bad happening to him or those around him. So it's important. He can't be thinking about that. He's got to stay focused. And as Christians, he's telling us we have to stay focused. That he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Now, that's talking about warfare literally, but we know and spiritually God has chosen us and he wants us to be pleasing to him. So we can't get entangled with the affairs of this life. There's nothing wrong with that. We have to do things to make a living. We have to clean the house. We have to mow the lawn. Whatever. The things that we have to do, those are things we have to do. But don't let the things of this life entangle us so that we're not pleasing and we're not focused on what the Lord wants. Verse 5. And if a man also strive for the masteries, that is, a person who wants to get a crown in the Olympics, or the, now we call it the gold medal, or the silver or the bronze. Um, I'm sure it's nice to get a silver and bronze, I wouldn't know, but I'm sure they'd rather be the one getting the gold. It says, so if, one, if a person's doing that, again, the word man means a person, yet is he not crowned, the word except means unless he strive lawfully. In other words, he's got to follow the rules. We've seen it happen. If they found out that they have not followed the rules and there was what they call doping involved, whatever they do with all that, then that crown can be taken from them. We've seen that happen in different competitions where they found out the person cheated. They did not follow the rules. What God is telling us as Christians, we have to follow the rules, and this is the rule book, the Bible. So if we want to get crowned, if we want to rule and reign with him, we've got to follow the rules. We just can't say it doesn't matter and do whatever we want. Verse 6. The next example, the husbandman who labors must be first partakers of the fruits. Here he's talking about, and specifically, um, with in a, a person who's a farmer, you know, he, he deserves a right to get benefit from that himself. And in the case of Timothy, he said, you're working, you should be provided for first. Now, though Paul didn't allow that to happen in his own life, he insisted he didn't want somebody to accuse him of doing it all for the money, so he worked as a tent maker on the side. But he tells Timothy, you have the right to do that. Verse 7, consider what I say, and the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, in verse 8, of the seed of David, that is a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. So Jesus Christ was raised according to my gospel. Now keep in mind, he uses this phrase, my gospel. 
because we know about the resurrection of Jesus, but there's something more to Paul when he says, my gospel. So keep that in your mind. We'll get to it in verse 10. Verse 9, whereunto I suffer trouble. Uh, because of his ministry being used of God, he has been suffering. One of the things is he's in, he was in prison when he wrote Ephesus, and so it talks about all the suffering. He says, as an evildoer. In other words, I'm being accused as an evildoer. And Paul wasn't an evildoer, but he was being accused of that. It says, even unto bonds, meaning in prison. But what is he said here? But the word of God is not bound. So regardless of that, Paul says, it's not bound, though I may be. Verse 10, therefore, I endure all things. Remember, he used the word endure back in verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness. So Paul says, therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake. So Paul's talking about those who are believers, And he goes through all this for the sake of the believers. He says that they may also obtain the salvation. Now, a lot of people think, oh, that means saved and going to heaven. But he's talking about something more. Which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Remember, every time you see the word glory, think of the word majesty. When you think of majesty, you think of a king, you think of a kingdom. And the word eternal is Ionian, which means age. So when he talks about my gospel... It's more than just getting people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, our time's almost up. We'll finish with a couple more verses. Verse 11. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. So as Christians, we have to keep denying self. Mortify, as he said in Romans, mortify the deeds of the flesh if we want to live with him in the coming age. Verse 12. If we suffer we shall also reign with him. There's a condition based on it here. It doesn't say that all of us get to reign whether we suffer or not. If we deny him, he will die us. That doesn't mean that you, you're a Christian, you get, to, to, you get to the judgment seat and he says, oh, well, you're not saved anymore. We can't lose our salvation because that was done by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He gave his life for us. That work is completed So this denying him is talking about us denying him in our Christian lives. And if we do that, when we get to the judgment seat, he will not present us to the Father. He will deny us. And we'll close with verse 13. If we believe not, yet he abides faithful, he cannot deny himself. So that reminds us that our salvation, that is of the spirit of going to heaven, is guaranteed. Because he still abides faithful. Let us pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time we can spend in it and the spiritual nourishment from it. We pray as many, we continue to lift up in prayer. We continue to pray for Brother Allen that there would be a way to alleviate the pain that he has. We continue to pray for Jerry with the pain that he's undergoing, with Eileen, with all those that many that we've been praying and some are silent requests. But Father, you know each one and all the details. We lift them all up to you and pray your will be done. And may we as your children make sure that on a daily basis we have on the whole armor so we can stand against the trickery of Satan. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.